0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, if you have your Bible open really in those first kind of three chapters in the Gospel of Luke today, that'll be helpful. That's where most of our focus will be, around Luke chapters 1 to 3. I wonder if you saw any of the reports towards the end of November. Uh, with regard to children who had acted in nativity plays. There's been a survey done over the past 15 to 20 years regarding children who acted in nativity plays, and depending on the character they acted in the play, what they were likely to become later in life. It's incredible, and I find it fascinating. For example, and maybe some of you can resonate with, with this, you know, there was the child who was chosen to play Mary often found to be louder than the average five-year-old, not averse to wearing blue or holding hands with lots of boys. Whilst her parents were likely to contribute to school funds in a very significant way, and she tended to be a very high achiever. As for Joseph, the boy in question was one who always did his homework, got at least nine out of ten in his spellings, whilst was quite quiet, but also was particularly annoying to the rest of the class, and ended up in business. The shepherds were stereotypical in that they were more often proved to be one of the lads and just up for a bit of banter, sometimes a bit naughty, but really just a cry for attention, Pret- pretending not to enjoy wearing a tea towel on their heads, but secretly loving it, and often ending up working manually. Whilst the wise men tended to be well-behaved, top-of-the-class types, who could be trusted with the most expensive props, and inevitably ended up running lucrative IT companies. And what about those who played the donkey? Well, the survey said that they were generally cheeky, but secretly loved being an important part of the story, and they often end up in customer relations. And as for the angel in the background with no real role to play except looking tinsely and cute, well, they tended to crave attention we were constantly disappointed that they weren't picked to be merry, jealous of other people's successes, rebellious in the face of obscurity, capable of entertaining themselves for hours with a piece of tinsel. These are the sort of caricatures we usually paint in the annual nativity plays. They're so often the actors who steal the show. My favorite one was a few years ago, I saw a nativity play in one of the local schools, and the girl who was playing the tree was the best, because she kept doing this. And everyone's eyes were on her. But how often is it at the expense of the child who makes Christmas? I'm not going to do a survey today to ask hands up who played Mary, who played Joseph, who played an angel, because it might be rather embarrassing. But here's my question for you all in Union Road today. It's a very straightforward question. How many of you ever wanted to play Jesus? How many of you ever wanted to play Jesus? The things we do, the organizations we represent. But here's the question, above all questions at this Christmas time how many of us want to be like Jesus? We can be up their neck in all the organizations, and we can all have our different roles that we play in church on the eldership, on committee, doing the practical stuff, doing the music, running our youth doing things with the children, whatever. We all like our part. We play our part in the great big play that is Union Road. But how many of us, our first desire above everything else, above BB and Youth Club, above PW, above Prayer Meeting, above the South, is I want to be like Jesus. Because if that's not number one, we've missed out entirely on what Christmas is all about. How does it happen that people like you and me can be like Jesus? Well, first of all, through the true Christmas spirit. The true Christmas spirit. Now, the Christmas spirit is not that sentimental Bing Crosby snowflake hills and fuzzy feeling inside spirit, but a true living and powerful spirit found in every corner of the Christmas story. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, first of all, and remember that Luke was a doctor. He came from a scientific background and had taken oaths, the Hippocratic oath, to tell the truth as part of his old professional development. He told the truth. And look at what we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. When Zechariah is confronted by the angel in the temple, prophesying the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he's told that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That's incredible. There's a child filled with Holy Spirit even before born. And then Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, is carrying this baby. And look at Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It tells us the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she met with Mary, the mother of Jesus, the faithful servant of God. Old Simeon had been waiting in Jerusalem for years, hanging around the temple, longing to see... Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 26... He had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. At every corner of the Christmas story, in God's grand plan of salvation for the sinful world, the Holy Spirit is there and at work. It enables old men and young women to wait and rejoice to be prepared and at the same time excited to meet the Savior. There in one paragraph is what it is to meet with Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It enables old men and older women and young women to wait and rejoice and be prepared and at the same time excited to meet the Spirit. If you're not excited to meet the Spirit, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not excited today by Jesus, you are not filled with God's Holy Spirit. And that's even before we get to Mary. He asked the best question of God. Of heaven around Christmas that answers all our fears. She's just been told that she's gonna carry the Son of the Most High God. And while she's excited by the prospect of carrying the Savior, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Look at Luke 1, verse 34. She asks the best question ever: How can this be? Since I am a virgin. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Yeah, Mary's young, but she's not daft. She's willing to help but finds it very hard to understand. She's faithful to God, and she's also been faithful to Joseph. How can she possibly have a baby? Well, verse 35 answers, doesn't it? The angel answers. The angel once again refers to the mysterious, mighty, maternity-making Holy Spirit, the one who alone brings life, the spirit who brings new birth. It's the same Christmas spirit that brings an overwhelming sense of relief to Joseph as he is confused, knowing that the baby in his fiancée's womb is not his. Matthew chapter 1, you'll need to turn this up, but let me tell you what it says. It says she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and then again, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this Christmas spirit, is no mere floaty phantom. He is not weird, but he is utterly life-giving and wonderful. He's the unseen actor in the nativity play. He's almost like the director of the nativity play that none of us could portray. Bringing hope to an old couple like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Fulfilling God's word before the eyes of elderly Simeon. Bringing life there was none before in the wombs of elderly Elizabeth who had never been able to have a child before and a virgin Mary who was impossible for her to have a child. What kind of spirit can do this? Who is this Christmas spirit? Well, it could be none other than the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. As the angel describes Mary's pregnancy in the most translations, it's the best translation of Luke chapter 1, verse 37, should read, nothing is impossible with God. I love that line. That's true. Nothing is impossible with God. He is powerful, and he is personal and he always leads and points to jesus that's his role and the holy spirit is right here he is here in the christmas spirit he is here in the christmas story and we must not miss his work which leads me secondly to the christmas event the christmas event you see the virgin birth is an absolute non-negotiable of the christian faith The logic and the life-changing power of the gospel demands that there's a supernatural conception. If Jesus is Joseph's son, if Jesus carries Joseph's DNA, then this world is lost forever and is without hope. You see, the gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, emphasize that Mary's child is not the result of human reproduction. Mankind did not make his own Messiah. To be blunt about it, To put it in language that we all know. We can't save ourselves. You can't save yourself, and neither can I. It takes someone from outside to come into this world to save us. And Jesus was a pure, untainted gift. Mary's child, Jesus Christ, is not the son of men. He's the son of God. And he takes his humanity from Mary. You know, he would have looked like her. If you flip through the rest of the Gospels, how many times when people are making fun of Jesus, they point and say, it's Mary's boy. He looked like her. Maybe it was his eyes, or his face, or his hair. He looked like Mary. And that's important. But this is not some quirk of theology that you can leave and say, oh, listen to that's far too heavy to get into today on this Sunday after Christmas. But let me tell you the fact that Joseph was not Jesus' dad. Is actually heaven or hell for us today. It's life or death. You see, this world is full of the sons of daughters of men. And that's exactly the problem. This world is full of sons of men. We need someone from outside to represent us before God, someone just like us, but not the same as us, to save us. If you still got your Bible, turn over one chapter to Luke chapter 3. And you'll see in Luke chapter 3, it's a potted history of the whole world in Luke chapter 3. You've got Christ all the way back to Adam, a big long list of names. Luke charts a family tree, a succession of men who rise up and give rise to more men. And at the top of that tree, do you see it? Incredible. Young people, boys and girls, if you're near a Bible, look at it on with mom and dad. Something amazing. Luke chapter 3, verse 38. Enosh the son of Seth, the son of Adam. What do you expect next? But it says that Adam is the son of God. Adam's the son of God. Everyone else in that list is described as the son of another man. But there are only two men in all of history who did not have a human father. Adam and Jesus. When Adam was brought into existence, his family tree just had him, and it was him at the top of it all. The Lord formed Adam. He could rightly be described as a son of God. God made him. An outside intervention made Adam. No one else on earth made Adam. Think of him standing there in the Garden of Eden, all alone. All of humanity, all of the human race is in Adam. Whatever he does, we become. So when Adam sins, whenever he fell, we fall with him. So step forward, the need for a second Adam. Mary's child is not from a man. He is something else. He's a new humanity. And how did it happen? By the same supernatural intervention of God, by his Holy Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The power of the Most High will overshadow you the angel says to Mary this is a miracle that no one can explain but the idea of God's overshadowing is not new in the Bible it isn't the first time we've come across it in the Bible that same word overshadowing is used of God's presence in the holy of holies in the temple the shadowing the presence the powerful presence of God It's the very same word with which John begins his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word is tabernacled. He came to live among us, presents himself with us. God became man and came into our place and entered our space. And God came to earth all the way down through the birth pains of a mother. In so many ways, the birth of Jesus was just like any other birth. Yes, it was hard and painful labor for Mary, but the conception of Jesus in Mary's room, womb, now that was out of this world. That, that was heaven come to earth. That was God's Holy Spirit's powerful presence forming in Mary. And Jesus' unique and spiritful life did not end at his birth, sure it did. We read in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus had no sin We read in 1 Peter 2 that he did no sin. Even when Pontius Pilate, a Roman leader, interviews Jesus and questions him, he washes his hand. I can find no fault. Pilate would have been an expert at getting information. And he found no fault with this Jesus. Jesus was sinless. Why? Because he was holy. Because he was not just another man. And the Christmas event brings such glory into our grime. Sinless God to sinful man. I was really taken with a cartoon I saw in a newspaper last week. It's on the screen just now. Do you see it? Let me describe it for you. They've got two kids building a snowman to the backdrop of discarded face masks on the snow. You've got socially distant seating on that park bench behind and if your eyes strain enough, you can see all the lorries that are queued either at the ports of Dover or Calais in this past week. And what is the snowman saying? You monsters! What sort of world have you brought me into? He's frowning. He's saying to the boys, Why have you, made, why have you brought me into this horrible 2020, coronavirus-filled, speculation-filled angst of a world. Why? That's a word of a silly snowman. That should have been the word of the purity of the most holy God, the people like us. You monsters. You've brought me into a world like this. But there was no other way. He came down to earth to save us who is God and Lord of all he came way down into the dirt of your sin and the filth of your minds and the heartbreak of your lives to raise us up finally we finish today not just with the Christmas event not just with the Christmas spirit but with the Christmas experience I know some of you spent big money to get your kids to see Santa this year and have been quite prepared to trips halfway across the country for a Christmas experience, a winter wonderland in a year that's been otherwise so disappointing. But some of you will also be aware of stories across Britain last week of disappointing Christmas experience, like the one in Oldham just outside Manchester recently. Angry parents have slammed the £25 drive through North Pole experience for having a skinny Santa, not enough reindeer and just two stops along the way. drive through Christmas, which was launched just a few weeks ago, promised families a meeting with Santa, nine reindeer to feed and elves who would squirt you with foam guns like snow. But one mum from Whitfield who took her daughter to the drive through said, It was so bad. I feel awful saying it, but for £25, it was shocking. Honestly, my little girl is only three, so it wasn't much of an issue, but older children will seriously be questioning things. Even my three-year-old mentioned that Santa had a black beard and the outfit was quite questionable. But I say it again to parents in Union Road, especially with younger kids, you can have all the right elves and all the most beautiful presents and reindeer and jolly fat men with red cheeks and white beards and still not get the Christmas experience. Some of you need to waken up before it's too late, before your children reach 13, 14, 15, and they say, it's all a joke. It's all just made up. All the Santa and Jesus, it's all bundled up into one, it's all a lie. It's all a myth. And then you're going to have to answer to God for how you've filled their heads with nonsense for all those years. There's only one Christmas experience and it ain't wee elves and men with white beards squirting you with foam and paying big money just to get the feeling. Folks, wise up. Wise up before it's too late. I'm saying that as a parent who I know has caused that harm in our own family. Wise up before it's too late. Waken up before you spiritually destroy your children. And it will be you held responsible. And I say that not angrily but lovingly today. Because I love you in the Lord and I love your kids. These dear ones are, I love them in the Lord. The one Christmas experience is this. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That's it. In Galatians 4 verses 4 to 6, we read a summary of the Christmas event. And the Christmas experience is offered to us. Listen carefully to one translation of it. But when the proper time came, God sent his son, born of a human mother, born under the jurisdiction of the law, that he might redeem those who are under the authority of the law and lead us into becoming by adoption the true sons of God. It is because you really are the sons that God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts to cry, Abba, Father, you, my brother, are not a servant any longer. You are a son. And if you are a son, then you're certainly an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Wow. What does that tell us? You and me can be like Jesus. We can be Jesus in the nativity play. The event God sent his son the experience to redeem us, to rescue us, to make us sons of God. And as John 1 verse 12 tells us, yet to all he did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. If we receive this Jesus as our Savior, as our light in the darkness, as eternal life, as sons of man who face eternal death, and we are born of God. Yes, and I say that, rarely, we will become like Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings about this new birth. Something brand new happens in us. And if you think this is beyond your reach or out of your hands, you would be absolutely right. But because God has done it, nothing is impossible. You are not written off. Listen, we are dealing with a personal, powerful spirit who was there at the start of this all. Do you remember what Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 tells us? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God's spirit combined with God's word is an unstoppable power and brings something from nothing, majesty from mess, sinful mankind to a holy God. This is the true Christmas experience. Not snow or sleighs, but God's Spirit working around us, speaking to us, hovering among us as we hear God's Word today. Folks, every time we meet in church, and I open this Word, and I read it to you, and I preach to you, the Holy Spirit is here. He's here. And at this moment, he's convicting some of us deeply in our hearts. I know he is, because every time I open this book, it is not wasted. He is here. He is working in hearts and life amongst us here. He is, just like he did at the very beginning at creation, where there was chaos and mess. The Word and the Spirit came together and made something beautiful. And he's wanting to do that in your life today. He's wanting to make something beautiful from the mess and chaos of 2020. The Christmas event happened only once at Bethlehem when Jesus was born into this world, but the Christmas experience is repeated over and over again when men and women and boys and girls, no matter of what age, hear this word and respond to it. Jesus called this experience being born again. Would you not rather be a son of God than a slave to fear and eternal uncertainty? And for those of us who have shared in that saving Christmas experience, maybe even 20, 30, 40 years ago, we come back to where we started today. Who are you in the nativity play, and what have you become? It's not just those who are wise men, make good IT consultants, or those who act as Mary become bossy. The mind-blowing answer is if we are believers, we are the characters of Jesus Christ. He became what we are so that we might become what He is. He came into our situation to invite us into His situation. He entered our family, the human race that we can share in His family, the Trinity with the Son as our Savior and brother, the Spirit bringing us new birth, and God as our Father. He, the Son of God, became flesh so that we who are flesh might become sons and daughters of God. And so here's my question to us all. Right, boys and girls, here's something to do at home later on. I want you to go home, and I want you to look around. I don't know where you display your Christmas cards. Some have it up in string. Some have it into the the fancy tree. Some have it maybe on your mantel pieces. I want you to go home, boys and girls, and I want you to count down the cards, any card you see with any of these three words on it. Peace, love, joy. Okay? If you see any cards with any of those? Our house is littered with, with cards that have peace, love, or joy. It, it seems to be the words that people like around Christmas. For those of you who know what God's Spirit is meant to produce in our lives from Galatians chapter 6, it's love, joy, peace, and the rest. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So here's my question for those of us who have been Christians for years today. Are you more loving at the end of 2020 than you were at the beginning of 2020? Are you more full of joy deep in your heart at the end of 2020 as you were at the start of 2020? Are you more full of the peace of God in your life at the end of this year as you were at the start? Because if you're not... Are you a Christian? That's evidence that the spirits at work in your life. That's evidence of the new birth and new start. And if you're not, is the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a believer? We almost need to get down on our knees and ask the Lord to forgive us for being such poor images of Jesus Christ and showing so little joy, so little love, So little peace, so little patience, so little self-control, and all the rest. That's the marker. That's the standard. That's what it is to be a believer. Are these the distinctives of a spirit-filled, Jesus-trusting, born-again believer? Is that us? Where do we still need to do some work? What a challenge to us to be like him, But we can be. All thanks to that Christmas gift he gave us, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and renew us and set us ablaze for him. For folks, no sin is too black. No habit is too hard to break. No trial is too heavy for him to bear. No problem is too great for him to carry. For the mighty spirit of the creator and savior God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is in us. He has not brought you this far to disappoint you. He has not brought you this far to walk out on you. So here's the question. Who are you in the nativity play? And what have you become? It's not just good enough to say, we'll be the wise men, go a long way to see Jesus. Or we'll be like that shepherd and we'll rush to see and worship him. No. Remarkably, the Bible tells us we are to be like Jesus. And the Spirit can do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even though we are convicted in our sin today and all our shortcomings, you have made everything possible with God. Anything, everything is possible. You can save those who are still not trusting in Jesus by the power of your spirit and through trusting in the Savior. You can make those of us who have made lousy attempts at following Jesus into spirit-filled, life-giving love joy, peace. You can do that in us, Lord, because nothing is impossible with you. We thank you that you came to earth to raise the sons of earth, to give us that second birth, to be born anew in Jesus. Lord Jesus, be born anew in us today. Fill us with your Spirit. And may we share in a 2021 with the Spirit's help, we can face every circumstance, every difficulty, every sin, every disappointment filled with the Spirit who makes Christmas possible. Father, we turn our closing praise over to you, making it a prayer for our hearts and our lives and our congregation at this time. Holy Spirit-living breath of God, breathe new life into our willing souls. Hear us, O God.